If our host would come forward, we'll continue our worship by giving our offering. And um, as we're doing that, I'd like to just talk through three things that are three opportunities uh, for ministry that are coming up here. We know, Jeff mentioned a minute ago, Easter is just around the corner, just a few days ahead of us. And, uh, you know, for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, this is uh, probably our number one time to celebrate and worship God as we celebrate the truth of Christ's resurrection. But I'd also say that it's one of our best opportunities that we can have to reach out to someone who's still on their you know, that spiritual journey. They're not where we're at yet. They're still asking the questions and, and seeking a relationship with God. And boy, Easter Sunday is like the best time for us to be able to reach out to somebody and invite them here on, a, on, a, on that Sunday morning to join us. So be thinking about that. And we did provide cards. In fact, if you want one of those little cards, I should have had one up here with me to, um, to give to somebody to invite them. You can get that at Guest Central or at the information booth up above. So, you know, we, we do want to provide a place for everybody who comes. We're expecting a large attendance that Sunday, so we're having three services. Um, 8 o'clock, uh, uh, I mean 8.30, 8.30, 10 o'clock, and, and 11.30, and so we're doing that, and, and then along with that, because we, it's just so important that any person that walks through the door, maybe the very first time, or first time in a long time that they've been in church, and they bring their children with them, we want to make sure that we have a place for their children, so we're, we're doing children's ministry all three hours that Sunday, and you can imagine that's a, an extra big challenge to, to take on for, for one Sunday like that. And so what I'm asking you this morning is to, to look at that, that Sunday, Easter Sunday, as a time to serve. And the way you can do that is to come to one of, the, one of our worship services and then serve in our children's ministry either one or, or both of the other hours on, on that particular Sunday. And I mean, think of it as, as, as really as a mission that Sunday. It's your time to care for others who are seeking to know God. And it could be, it could be a life-changing time in, in people's lives. And we have a, we have a deal that you, in the bulletin that you could uh, sign if you're willing to serve in the early childhood area and just leave that, that, that in, the, in the bucket as buckets as, as we go out this morning as you go out. The other thing that is fun to be able to share with you is that there's a movie coming out this week. It's called October Baby. It's a story about a, a, uh, a teenage girl who finds out she was adopted. It's a, it's a powerful story of, the, of, of God's, the forgiveness that's possible because of the love of God in each one of our lives. And the cool thing about this is that uh, one of the couples in our church about a thousand tickets because they just believe in this so strongly and they're providing us the opportunity to be able to buy a ticket for only five dollars this morning uh, and we're also making that opportunity available to other churches in in our city so they're doing the same thing in in other churches and uh, the thing about this is that uh, the $5 that you give to that ticket, all that money goes to the Center for Pregnancy Counseling. So it's a, it's a beautiful full circle. Uh, it gives us an opportunity to be able to 
see a powerful movie where God can speak to us about his forgiveness, but also to meet a, an important need. And honestly, if you don't have, if you can't afford uh, the ticket, we still want you to, to have one because we don't want you to miss this. Group Link is coming up this week, uh, Thursday evening for our women's life groups, and then Friday evening for our married couples life groups. And I have, a, I have two couples up here with me today, uh, Dennis and Shelly Hedges and, and, and uh, Mark and Gabby uh, Lutz. And uh, I, just, I just thought it'd be fun for you to meet them and hear their, their experience with life groups. They came uh, to the Life Connection event that we had back in January and then ended up becoming part of a, uh, of a life group together. And I actually uh, asked this couple, uh, Dennis and Shelly, if they would be willing to lead a life group, and that's how they ended up coming. So, uh, uh, you know, that was stepping out for you. And uh, so, you know, tell us a little bit about that. All right. Well, we were so excited and a little bit nervous about uh, stepping out of our comfort zone to become leaders of a group. But Shelly and I love people, so it wasn't a stretch for us to meet new people to connect with. Okay. So, you know, when you went into that, into, into be, becoming part of a life group, what were you looking for? Yeah. Well, we were looking for in a life group uh, someone to be able to build uh, relationships, lasting, meaningful relationships with. And uh, the Lutz were one of those. And yeah. uh, in that, um, we, we, we love that it was part of a, our body of uh, believers here at Brookside. And... Uh, it's been a wonderful adventure, and uh, we were able to help one another grow closer to the Lord. And uh, we've really seen that play out in the last eight weeks uh, within our service project, within our uh, social time, and some of the challenging material that we had within the Velocity uh, stuff. And uh, it's been a blessing. It's been a really, really fun ride the last eight wow. weeks. You know, that means a lot for me to hear that, because I remember you in our last membership class, and as I mentioned last service, I kind of watched the two of you, and I saw you were very engaged in the scripture and what we were doing. You were, it was very important to you, and I, I just saw this genuine warmth, and, you know, I could pick up that you, you like people. And uh, so you two came, and, uh, uh, you know, along with others, joined this life group. And uh, so tell us what you experienced, and maybe, you know, what made it highlights maybe for you. Sure. <laughs> Gabby and I have been members or have been coming to Brookside for just almost a year now, and we were looking for ways to get closer to our church community, uh, to meet other families with similar beliefs who were experiencing similar challenges to us. Dennis and Shelley, they, they welcomed us into their homes, and, and an amazing thing happened. In, in a little under eight weeks, we got to know five families that we hadn't known previously. We got to pray together. We got to work together side by side in the community helping others, and we had a lot of fun. It was a great experience. It's amazing, isn't it, how in eight weeks that a group of people got, you know, really came to know each other and built relationships. So it was, it was, it was all good for you, except for one thing, right? And that's why you're up here today. Yeah, uh, Gabby and I live in, in Council Bluffs, just on the east side, uh, and our good friend the Hedges, they, they live in South Dakota. So it, it was a long drive. Yeah, longer. not quite, but all right. Yeah. Actually, throughout the eight weeks, we started talking to others, and it occurred to us that there, there's other families who are experiencing the same challenges that we are in having to drive to Omaha. Um, and we thought it, it kind of weighed on our hearts for a while, and we thought this might be an opportunity for us to serve other families who are facing similar challenges like us with the commute. Fantastic. You know, so they, 
that these two couples came to our connection event. And, you know, the, the whole thing that we're doing with this is it's like an eight-week trial where you can become part of a, of a life group and then uh, and decide at the end of that eight weeks, you know, this works or this doesn't work. You can, you can then, if, it, if you should choose, you can go try another, go to another group link and become part of another life group if you feel like it, it doesn't quite fit. So it's all, it's not, it's nothing forced. It's all in, in, in a sense in, in your core, what you like to do. And, and so these couples that said, you know what, we, what we want to do is create more space and and, and also make it easier for others who might drive a distance to become part of a, of a life group. So in a certain sense, it's sacrificed, but it's a sacrifice that, that's well worth it because of what it does for other people. So what I'm, what I'm leaning to here is if you're not part of a life group and you'd like to, we got a little form in, in the bulletin this morning that you can fill out. Um, you can leave it in a bucket as you go. Or if you prefer, you can just go online and you can, you can register for our group link. And you'll want to do that because we got, we got, again, Thursday night for women and, and, um, and then for married couples on, on Friday evening. All right? Great. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Morning again, Brookside. Good to see you. Well, we, uh, as you know, we're in a series um, called uh, Jesus Strong and Secure, and, um, and in this series, we've been looking at the, the last hours of the life of, of Christ, and, and in our passage this morning, we're going to see uh, Jesus really as he goes, in a sense, on, on trial, and uh, this week, as I've been studying, just the, the weight of the, the text has just been kind of overwhelming, really, in a sense. I've been I've been just struck by the intensity and just the, the magnitude of what is going on in these last particular moments of, of the life of Christ. And, and as we work through this passage this morning, and this is kind of one of my, my prayers for you today, it's that you would really sense um, this maybe uh, renewed sense of awe for God, of, of wow, of, of Jesus Christ. You would go, wow, I, I can't believe that. That amazes me. I stand back, my reverence, my respect for, for Jesus Christ is, is heightened. Um, I think that'll happen this morning. Uh, before we jump into the text, though, um, I'd, I'd love for you to, to pray with me, and let's just ask God to do a, a cool work in us today. Um, I, on Friday, I was actually uh, taking my son out on a date. I went home on Friday, and we're going to do a little lunch date, and, and uh, we went down to get into the car, and I turned the ignition on, and the radio had been on before, so the radio turned on right away, and he was about mid-sentence as we got into the car, and, and he said to me, he said, hey, Dad, he said, can you turn off the radio and and can we just talk? And at first I thought, I hope he says that when he's 14, you know. <laughs> but then it, it just sort of reminded me, you know, I think there are times when our Heavenly Father just says, hey, can we, can we just take a time out and just kind of just quiet things a bit? And uh, can we lay the, the playing field a little bit for, for me to show up? And so that's really what I want us to do when we, when we go to God and when we pray. And so would you pray with me? And let's just say to the Lord, I'm listening. I've quieted my heart and I'm ready and I'm, I'm listening today. So let's pray. Lord, we come to you and um, Lord, these songs even that we've sung today are um, they're just, they, they point us in the right direction. They help us just reflect on your greatness and your goodness. And, and this morning, we just very simply, we want to say, Lord, we invite you in. Um, you know, maybe even you're here today and you're new to church. I would encourage you. I would, I would say, why don't you even pray that? Take a risk and why don't you pray that prayer and why don't you say, Lord, I invite you in today. 
And so would you have a conversation even right now on your own and just say, Lord, I'm, I'm ready. I want to hear from you. Lord, I invite you in. Go ahead and just have that conversation. So Lord, that's our prayer, and we pray to you, and we trust you, because we know that those who are open to you, Lord, you answer those kinds of prayers. You, you show up to the person whose heart is wide open to you, so that's who we want to be, and we pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, hey, let me, uh, let me ask you a, a question. Have you ever read a, a really good story, a, a great story, maybe a story that was filled with romance, and, and maybe uh, uh, just courage, and and risk, a, a story that you, you read it, maybe it had adventure in it. And, and it was so good that as you read it, you were like, wow, I, I don't want that story to end. I want to just keep going with this storyline. Or, or have you ever watched a movie and you got to the end of the movie and you thought, wow, oh, I'm so into this. I, I love this storyline. It's so, it's so pulled me in. The things of this movie are, they're just, uh, man, I, I love them. I want to, I want to know more. Um, a question that I've been wrestling with uh, recently is this, it's, it's what kind of story is my life writing? If at the end of my days a story were written about my life, I've been asking myself the question, what would that story be like? Is it the kind of, of story that I would actually want my kids to talk about? Would I be excited for them to read a story about my own life? I, I want you to think for a moment about the story <clears throat> that your life is writing. Uh, just imagine for a second, imagine that you've been You've been given a pen, a magical pen, and you can write the story of your life. First of all, what's, what's already been written so far? I mean, if you could take out a pen and you could write the story of your life, what's been written so far? And what do you want to be written the rest of the story? What do you want to be true of the last chapters of your life? What do you want to be true going from this day forward? What would you want that story to say if you could pen that story? I think we can assume a couple of things. First, I think we can assume that Everybody wants to have a good story. Everyone wants to have a great story. There aren't people usually that aspire to live an empty life. There aren't people that say, you know what, I want to sign up for the life that gets forgotten as soon as I'm gone, right? And nobody says, you know, I want people to have no recollection of who I was after I died. Nobody says that. Nobody says, you know what, I want to be missed right away. No, we, we want a story where people... They do miss us, and they go, wow, that story had an impact on my life. We want to do it right. We want to leave a, leave a strong legacy. Secondly, I think we can make this assumption. Regardless of our age, our story has great potential. You know, you might be here today, and you're a teenager, and, and your story is already be, being written. Or maybe you're on the other side of the pendulum, and you would say, you know what, my, my story, I'm in the last chapters, maybe even you would feel like, of your life. You know, my grandmother, she passed away several years ago, but as I think about her life, as I think about the impact that she had on me, as I think about the memories that I have of her, it was the things that happened in the last year or so of her life, those are the things that I still remember. Those are the things that have had a, a lasting impact on me. Every person here, every person has the potential to write a great story. And it makes you, you, maybe you say, as I, you hear me say that, you're thinking, oh, even me? Yes, even you. Everyone has the potential to write a great story. In our text today, we're going to see two key stories. And we're going to look at the drama in the first one and the tension and the key decisions that marked the story of a man named Pontius Pilate. 
Uh, This man, Pontius Pilate, he has had a reputation for nearly 2,000 years of church history. And he's had the reputation as a man who's had a bad story. A story that was marked by key decisions in his life. But you look at it now and you go, he wrote a bad story. I don't want that. And then we're going to see Jesus in in this text today. And we're going to see Jesus make key decisions. We're going to see Jesus make very powerful, very key statements, significant statements that made his story so great that here we are today, 2,000 years later, we're still worshiping. We're gathering to hear the story. We're talking about it. There are millions and millions of people around the world right now that are doing the exact same thing. Why? Because his story was so great. The decisions that he made, they impacted everything. And so his story is amazing. We're going to bring this to life as we kind of work through our text today. But if there's just one thing, if there's just the the main point that you want to nail down, one thing that I I hope that you won't forget as you look at this text, it's, it's this. Remember this. If you forget everything else, remember this. Key decisions... Write great stories. Maybe you jot that down. Key decisions write great stories. Upon reading your story, like the story of your life, we'd quickly be able to find that you made key decisions that altered the story of your life. Key decisions write the story of your lives. And what we're going to see this morning is that those decisions, those decisions that really alter the trajectory of your life above anything else are the decisions that we make for Jesus Christ. Our text is going to bring that to life. So here's, here's where we're going today. If you've got a Bible, and we'll put the, the, the uh, verses up on the screen as well. But we're going to start in John chapter 18, uh, verse 28. And then we're going to go all the way to John 19, verse 16. And in those 28 verses, again, we're going to see Jesus on trial. And know this, it's a scene that is extremely hard to imagine. So let me get you up to speed, a little bit of context. Here's where we're at in the final hours of the life of Christ. Jesus has already gone to the Garden of Gethsemane. So he's had that moment where he's cried out to his heavenly father and he said, hey, if it is possible, would you take this cup, this cup of suffering, would you take it from me? And then he said, yet not my will, those key words, yet not my will, but yours be done. What he was saying in those moments was, hey, whatever it takes, I'll do it. I'm on mission. This is where I'm going. Whatever it takes, I'll complete the mission. By this point, Judas has betrayed Jesus by handing him over to the officials. Jesus has been arrested. He's been bound in chains. He's been taken to to Annas and then to Caiaphas, the high priest, where he's been questioned. And now his persecution has, has truly begun. Just as Jesus predicted, Peter has denied Christ. And now Jesus has gone to stand trial before Pontius Pilate. Because out of envy, out of insecurity, the chief priests and the religious leaders, they had their mindset on on condemning an innocent man. They saw Jesus as a threat. They saw Jesus as as a, a threat to their livelihood, as a threat to their power, as a threat to their own personal agendas. You know, as I read, and as I think you'll find this, as you read these chapters in the life of Jesus, there was a part of me that kept saying, why? I mean, why did Jesus have to to do this? This doesn't seem fair. Why did Jesus have to let this play out the way that he did? Why did he choose that path? But remember, of all the events we're about to read about, about the trial, about being accused of the crimes that he didn't commit, about um, him being innocent yet being on trial for capital punishment, remember that Jesus is fully aware of what he's getting into. He's not surprised at all. 
Do you remember in John chapter 18, verse 4? It says, Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, it says that he went out and he asked them, meaning he asked those that were about to arrest him, he asked them, who is it that you want? Jesus began the process fully aware. And I don't know about you, but I like to avoid pain. If I know it's hot, I'm not going to touch it, right? I mean, I, I like to stay away from pain. But Jesus, knowing full on what he's getting into, he knows I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to suffer. I'll be crucified. And yet, even in the midst of all the knowledge of that, what does he do? He makes a decision, conscious decisions after decisions. I'll take this turn. I'll take that turn into those significant moments. You know, I wonder if as Jesus was facing these, these final hours, I, I wonder if there were words that were going through his mind, words that were spoken hundreds and hundreds of years before his time, words like the ones from Isaiah 53 describing this suffering servant. I wonder if words like this were going through his mind. Isaiah 53, it says that he will be pierced for our transgressions. He will be crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. I wonder if that was just going through his mind and just leading him down that path. As we read John 18 and John 19, a very logical question that you might have this morning is this. Very simply, it's, it's why? Why did Jesus go down this terrible road? And the answer to that question is, it was for you. The answer to that question, it was for me. The scriptures record that Jesus said, I, I didn't come to call the righteous. No, Jesus said, I, I came for, for sinners. I came for the broken. I can relate to that. Let's dive into our text. Look with me at John 18, <clears throat> verse 28. It says, then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. Now the Roman governor, that was, that was Pontius Pilate. By now it was early morning and many commentators believe that this was somewhere in the neighborhood of between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So very early in the morning. And, to, and by now it was early in the morning and it says, And to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and he asked them, What charges are you bringing against this man? So, you know, that's a, a pretty logical question. And what Pilate is doing is he's giving them the very normal opening inquiry of a trial. Hey, why did you bring this man to me? You got this guy in change. Why did you bring this man to me? And the religious leaders, they respond. If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Kind of a sarcastic way to, to really answer the question. And Pilate says, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. Now what we know is this, that, that Pilate had a, a little bit of a frustration, I think you could say even. Because Pilate knows of the innocence of Jesus Christ. And so it's not like Pilate's going into this situation completely blind. Pilate knows what's going on. We also know from the text, you can just sense the sarcasm, you can sense the frustration. You'll see it throughout the passage of Pilate. He has very little respect for these Jewish leaders. He understands their selfish motives. So they respond... Verse 31, the second half. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. Now, now, this would have been a shocking statement to Pilate. Because it's one thing to bring an innocent man and want to, to try him for a crime and maybe put him in jail for a while or something like that. But now you Jews are talking about executing him? 
by Roman law, the Jews were, they were not allowed to execute. Um, they weren't allowed to carry out capital punishment. This was reserved for the Romans. There is a clear, and you'll see this throughout the text, there's a very clear tug of war going on here. There's a crowd of people that have one agenda, and then there's Pilate. And you'll see them going back and forth. Pilate doesn't want to be the one that pulls the trigger on the execution of Jesus Christ. Come me at verse 32. It says, this happened so, so that the words Jesus had spoken, indicating the kind of death that he was going to die, would be fulfilled. The Jews were allowed to, uh, they were known for stoning people, right? I mean, that's how they would inflict punishment and that sort of thing. But just as predicted, Jesus, it says in the scriptures, that he would be upon his death, he would be lifted up just in the same fashion as the Romans would do in Roman crucifixion. Verse 33 the tension builds. Pilate, then he went back inside the palace. I mean, you can just imagine this. He's like, okay, wow, I got to think about this. He pulls away, pulls away from them. And he says to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? This would have been a moment where Jesus, or where Pilate's just like, I, I want to know. I wouldn't imagine the crowd out here. Now Pilate's face to face with Jesus. Are you the king of the Jews? I think it's, he's asking very authentically. I think he's, his heart is wanting, I, I want to know, who, who are you? I, I've heard about you. I've heard about your miracles. I've heard about your teachings. I've heard about even all the good things you do. Why are you here? Are you the king of the Jews? Verse 34. Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? It was your people, and it was your high priest who handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? You can notice that Pilate is, he's frustrated. What is it that you have done? Authentically wanting to know, Jesus, why are you here? Jesus, why are you bound in chains? Jesus, I don't really want to be a part of this trial. Why are you, why are you here? What are you, what are you doing? He keeps going. Look at verse 36. What is it that you have done? Jesus replied, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. And know this, that Jesus is not referring to there. He's not saying, you know what, this is about an, an earthly political hierarchy. That's what I'm going for. No, Jesus is making it very clear. This is not about that. My kingdom, it's from, it's from another place. Well, we're talking about two completely different things here. Verse 37, you are a king then said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, Pilate asked. Think, let me just think of the, the power of these questions that he's asking. Remember John chapter 1? is speaking of Jesus, and it says, Jesus, he's full of grace and truth. John chapter 14, it says, Jesus, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John chapter 17, sanctify them by your truth, for your word is truth. And then you notice this in, in verse 38, goes on. What is truth, Pilate asked, and with this he went out again to the Jews. So he's kind of having this dialogue, but now he's out in front of the, the crowd that's probably down the set of tall stairs down below him, and 
this, these group of Jews there, this is an unruly crowd, and they said, and he says to them, I find no basis for a charge against him. And now five different times, note this, five different times, Pilate tries to change their minds. And he's, what he's saying to them is, hey, you, you bring this man to me, but I find no reason to lead him to his execution. I find absolutely no basis for Jesus Christ to go to the cross. I find no basis for it. He would later stand before the people, Pilate would, wash his hands as a symbol saying, this is on you, you hypocritical religious leaders. I have no part of this. Look at verse 39. So Pilate says to the group now, but it is your custom for for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Now this would have been a, a really, a really uh, powerful, a really kind of like agitating even question for him. And the story of the crowd is about to be written by the next decision that they make. Notice this. They shouted back at him, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. The text says, now Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. Now this would have been amazing to Pilate. I mean, to think that Pilate could stand there, and, and we learned that in, in Mark chapter 15, that Barabbas isn't just a, a guy that kind of led a, a, a movement that was against the government. No, Barabbas is a murderer. And so, I'm sure Pilate's thinking, surely they'll, they'll want me to release Jesus, this innocent man, but they don't. They say, no, 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 let us, let us have Barabbas. Now, Barabbas wasn't the kind of guy, though, that you just wanted roaming around the streets, right? Not the kind of guy you want to come up to the park and play with your kids. But they said, no, no. Not Jesus, release Barabbas, release him to us. It's it's crazy. But don't miss this picture. This just dawned on me last night. You've got Jesus here, and then you've got Pilate as kind of this mediator. And then over here, you've got Barabbas. Now Barabbas, in in just a couple of moments, he goes free. Barabbas gets the shackles taken off, and he walks down those stairs, and he's a free man. But as Barabbas goes free, who still stands over here? Jesus Christ. And think about this for a second. I can relate to Barabbas. I'm a lot like Barabbas. I'm a sinner. I go free. I mean, I thought last night, I was like, that's the gospel. You see it in the life of Barabbas. Barabbas goes free. The sin of mankind gets laid on the innocent Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. I can relate. I can see myself in in Barabbas. Look at me at verse 19, verse 1, chapter 19, verse 1. This is in a last-ditch effort to appease the crowd. Pilate gives some, some orders. He says this, Then Pilate took Jesus, and he had him flogged. And now maybe what's going through Pilate's mind is, okay, if we can just have Jesus severely beaten, then even though he's innocent, by the way, then maybe they'll let, they'll let up. So that's what he does. Flogging was Roman torture at its height. Uh, oftentimes, if a person was flogged, they, they wouldn't live through it. They didn't survive it. It was bloody. It was brutal. It was a public beating. Now, remember this. as Just time out. Remember this, and let this ignite your heart of worship for the Lord. At every turn, Jesus is making decisions, and he's allowing this to continue. He's walking down this road. Verse 2 says, The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, and they put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe, and this would have been complete mockery. They're, 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 they're mocking him. They're, they're teasing him. They clothed him in a purple robe, and 
they went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And then it says, and they struck him in the face. Verse 4. Once more, Pilate came out, and he said to the Jews, Look, look, I'm, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find, get this, no basis for a charge against this man. And when Jesus came out wearing a a crown of thorns, all bloodied up in a purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. Now notice that Pilate didn't say, here's the king. Here's the one that you guys are so worried about is going to take over. No, he didn't say that. Note that he didn't say, hey, here's the threat. No, he brings out bloody Jesus and he says, just beaten. And he says, here is the man, meaning this. He is of no threat to you. Absolutely no threat to you. Here's the man. Think about the power of of that moment. Look at me at verse, let's keep going. Look at me at verse 6. As soon as the chief priests and the officials saw saw him, they they give no, no relent here. They shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him. And you crucify him. As for me, again, here it is, I find no basis for a charge against him. But the Jews, they insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. Verse 8, when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back into the palace. Now, we learn in Matthew chapter 27 that Pilate's wife has had a dream. And in that dream, she's received some sort of instruction. And and so she writes a little note to Pilate and she says, Have nothing to do with that innocent man. And you can just sense, I mean, imagine being Pilate. He's living and he's got the crowd and he's got the input of his wife and the input of his conscience and, and what he knows to be even true about the innocence of Jesus Christ. That's where he's living. Look at me at verse verse nine, the second part. Back in the palace, right? He's really wanting to know, where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? I mean, don't you realize that I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered, you have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. This statement, it screams, Pilate, this is not a normal trial You have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. You have no power over me. And since, Pilate, you have no power over me, this is 100% my choice. Think of Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. It says he, talking about Jesus, it says that he is before all things, meaning he's been around. And in him all things hold together, meaning He lacks no power at all. He could get out of this, but he doesn't. And because of his decision, because of his determination to die, what does he do? Jesus Christ opens the door for you and I to make crucial decisions about Jesus Christ that ultimately have the potential to lead to great stories. The story, I mean, you hear all the time stories in this church about people being brought back. People saying, man, there's a time in my life where X, Y, and Z was happening, and then I met the Lord, I encountered Jesus Christ. I was brought back. The stories about, you hear people will say, you know what, I used to live this way, but now life has changed, and now I'm living for something beyond myself. It's the power of God. Look at the second half of verse 11. 
Says Jesus talking to Pilate, therefore the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Verse 12, from then on Pilate tried to set Jesus free. Imagine the tension. He tries to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and he sat down on the judge's seat at the place known as the stone tablet, which in Aramaic means uh, Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. Imagine this moment. Here is your king, he's saying. Think back for a minute, to, back to John chapter 1, verse 29. John sees Jesus coming, and he says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, you've got Pilate standing here, and he's saying here, hey, look, look, here, here, here's your king. Look, here is the man. Verse 15, but what did they shout at this man who was the Lamb of God? They shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Verse 16, finally. Now it's decision time for Pilate. What will I do with Jesus Christ? That's the decision on the table for him. Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. Now remember that Jesus has just said to Pilate, Pilate, you have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Pilate, you have no power over me. The only way that I'm going through this is by my own volition. I am walking down this road because I'm choosing to. I I tell you what, it's realities like that that I think they give all of us hope. It's realities like that that we just go, wow, we have an advocate that was so motivated by love for you and I that what would he do? He would pursue his people with a reckless love. He was willing to make these hard decisions. Why? So that you and I might be able to have a story that includes eternal life, so that you and I might have a story that that includes a life that's beyond us, a life that we would say, wow, that, that's fulfilling. That's why I'm here. You know, you may have grown up in a tradition where you regularly recited the, the Apostles' Creed. These words might be familiar to you. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, who was born of the Virgin Mary, here it is, who suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified, dead, and buried. Get this, for nearly the past 2,000 years, people have been referencing Pontius Pilate. His story is marked by decisions that he made regarding Jesus Christ. He's known as a guy that he took out the pen and he wrote a bad story. Why? Because of his decisions about Jesus Christ. Pilate faced the decision, what will I do with Jesus? You know, I think in our own way though, We all face decisions like that. I mean, we face them not only this morning, but we face them every day of our lives. We face them at work. You know, you'll go to work tomorrow and what will you do with Jesus? You'll face them at home this afternoon. What do you do with Jesus at home? Maybe you're single and and, and you long to be married and you look at the playing field and you go, okay, yeah, I I can date that guy, Uh, but the Jesus thing, that's going to be complicated, right? It's a decision. What will I do with Jesus? Maybe you're You're in school right now, and you'd say, you know what, I I feel pressure. I understand the pressure of the crowd. I feel it all the time. And you're asking yourself the question, 
what am I going to do with Jesus? Imagine if you got to the end of your school days and you were able to look back and go, you know what, I didn't just write a couple good papers, and I didn't just get through. But imagine if you were able to say, man, I wrote some good chapters in my life. I'm, I'm proud of the way I lived. Brookside, just imagine all of us. Imagine if we could get to the end of our days having written a great story. You know, one of the best parts about being a Christian is is that knowing that every day that we live, the decisions that we make, the the story that we're writing with our lives, to know that it has the potential to have impact for all of eternity. I mean, don't lose sight of this. Your life matters to God. Every one of you, your life matters to God. And your life also, it matters to those in your circle of influence. Every person here, every person has the potential to change their family tree, to impact your family so that it would be, your impact would be felt really for generations and generations and generations to come. You know, some of you, you're here today and you would say, I'm a first generation Christian. I, I, maybe you've just come to faith. And you would say, well, I'm the first in my family. Think about this. You have the ability by the grace of God to change your family tree. You have the ability to lay a foundation for those who will come after you. That's amazing. And some of you, you were raised in a broken home and and maybe you had one parent that was kind of relentless and, and they made sacrifice after sacrifice to get you into church. They wanted you there. They wanted you around the things of God. By the choices, the key decisions you make, what do you do? You have the potential to build that story, to continue it on. You know, I think I talk like this. I think of grandparents. I think of my own experience. I look at, I look at my parents and I, I think to myself, wow, you know what, you're, Your best days are not behind you. Think of the impact that you can have. The decisions that you make are huge. They have huge potential. Your best days are ahead. In John chapter 18, John chapter 19, Jesus made key decisions that allow us to write great stories. You know, as you leave here today, um, uh, you're going to be able to to grab a pen. There's pens by the doors and there's nothing magical about this pen. As a matter of fact, you can put it in your junk drawer after seven days. But I'm just asking, anybody got a junk drawer? We have one, yes. But for the next seven days, here's what I want to ask you to do with this pen. I want you to take this pen, I want you to place it somewhere, and I, I just want it to be just a reminder to you, just for seven days, just a reminder to you to ask yourself the question, am I writing a great story? Am I making key decisions about Jesus Christ that I'm going to look back one day and say, I've got a great story. I've got a story that's got impact. I've got a story that I'm proud for other people to to read it. I'm proud for other people to know about my life. Might it be a reminder that in the small things, in the big things, our key decisions, what do they do? They write great stories. Let's do this. Let's close by asking God. Let's just say, Lord, would you help us be that kind of people? Would you help us be that kind of church? People would say at Brookside, wow, that group, that Brookside group, man, they they're great. There's something different about them. Might we be that type of a group? Let's, let's pray to that end. Lord, we come to you today and um, Lord, we just want to say that it's only by your grace and it's only by your mercy. Lord, I thank you that you would die for us so that we might write a great story. And so Lord, I, I pray this week as maybe we look at this pen, maybe we see it at work tomorrow or in the car or wherever, I pray that you would motivate us, Lord. I pray that you would motivate us to to make key decisions that would write a great story. I pray that we would choose Christ. And then for, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, um, 
I would just say to you, and, and maybe you're saying right now, I haven't, even, I haven't started the story spiritually. I would say to you, you can begin that story today and you can call out to God and say, I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a savior. I believe that you died for me. And know this, when you do that, you are accepted by God and you're about to write a great story. So Lord, we love you and Lord, we commit this morning to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's stand together and, and let's worship.